you are here and do not have your own, your very own Bible, don't leave today without one. You can take the, you can take the seasoned one that's in that seat right in front of you. If you want to take it, you keep it. Or there are some back there that haven't even been cracked open yet, and you can be a part of the first crack, okay? So don't leave here and not have a Bible. These words have been changing lives for thousands of years. Let's read it together. We're going to go to Matthew um, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here this morning. Well, about two years ago, our treadmill we had for up to over 20 years gave up. Uh, this was the same treadmill uh, that I would run on when our girls would play near the treadmill, not on it while I was running, uh, with their dolls. I mean, I used to watch them when they were really little. It's the same treadmill uh, that when a good brother challenged me to run a marathon in Traverse City, I uh, spent an enormous amount of time running on this treadmill. I did a lot of training on it. You know why? Because it's cold outside in February and January and March, uh, maybe even April, <laughs> right? So while many treadmills become a place where clothes are dried, I understand that. Ours was used a fair amount, not all the time, but was used a fair amount for running and walking through the years for our family. Well, before Nord, yeah, that, why don't we name him, uh, name it, Nordic track, that's what it was. Before Nord started acting up, uh, well, before he gave up, uh, Nord started to act up. And you would be running along on Nord, and the uh, speed would increase uh, in, in just a heartbeat. Now, that's not an issue so much as not only would the speed increase in a heartbeat, almost at a heartbeat, but it would stop as quick. <laughs> now, uh, there are a few of us in our family uh, that still uh, attempted to run on, on this beast, uh, but it was like riding a Bronco at the rodeo. I mean, it, it, you know, you would be going along and all of a sudden the speed would just like accelerate uh, pretty fast, and then without warning, stop. Now, I don't know about your heart or your mind when stuff like that happens, but this all of a sudden starting and stopping is a little dangerous, uh, not only for the head uh, and the emotions, but also for the body. Like I said, it wasn't too bad at the beginning, but, uh, you know, just kept pushing through and realized that, you know, we had to, had to part with Nord it's just, you know, all of those years of running on it, 
uh, was just, well, we had to put it aside and push through to the future of getting something different. And I get it. Some of you are like, you deserved every moment you got on that thing because why would anybody through put themselves through that such barbaric self-torture as running? I get it. You know, it's, it's just, just this intrinsic desire that, you know, if you keep going the way you're going, and this is the case with this treadmill, I thought maybe it would just heal itself. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, right? But how many of us have some of the same kind of thoughts about our own life? Even though it became fear-inducing, uh, even as I ran, well, we did, again, like I said, we said goodbye to Nord and then invested in a new, yep, we did, invested in a new treadmill, or as one of my friends calls them, dreadmills, right? Yet this is a bit like our lives. We, we know something is broken and not right, yet every morning we go through the same routines that continue to speed us up gradually. And then we continue to take on more and more and more. Uh, efficient and productivity become the words people say to us uh, about what we're doing and how we do things. Uh, it's almost like this little boost of uh, positivity, but it really is not so positive in some regards because we barely notice what we're doing at first, right? I mean, uh, some of us remember, uh, we, we, had, we, had, we were going to school, and some of you are just finishing up. I just, just kind of dawned on me. Some of you are finishing up some classes in school, and so your professors did the same thing for you, right? Everything kind of sped up slowly and incrementally until almost you felt like you were going to fall apart. But for some of us, we, we did it in our own lives. Uh, we went to school or we got jobs and we, we found a spouse and we got married and then we had a, a baby and then the diapers and the sleepless nights and then another baby. It's amazing how that happens. And then preschool. And then, uh, and then all of these things start to happen, soccer and ballet and and all of these things embraces, right? Everything just begins to speed up a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And then we realize, wait a second, in order to take care of what we've got going, we need to take out another, a second job. So we take on that second summer job and then we're deeper into debt. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and our, our heart's racing, literally, probably, or even figuratively, and we kind of go, what in the world? What in the world is going on? We kind of feel rushed and out of breath and a little bit overwhelmed. I wonder how many of you would say that you would feel that way uh, a little bit. And if those of you who are in retirement, I get it, a retirement like, I don't feel that way at all. I have talked to some of you. Some of you feel quite out of breath, even in your retirement, because you're being asked and you're being, you feel the, uh, well, you feel the squeeze to be obligated. And there's stuff to be navigated. But in all of that, it's, we just get overwhelmed, right? 
I mean, we get so overwhelmed that some of us, this may be a little too detailed, but some of us, uh, we are multitasking in places we thought we had never multitask. Anybody uh, multitask in the bathroom? Yeah, it's only meant for one thing, but somehow we uh, use it for multiple things. I, too real? Yeah, I thought so, but true, true. How many of you would also say occasionally or maybe you were uh, disappointed with the way life is going? It's not the way that you thought it was. And all because of maybe this idea of the increase of pace and intensity. And you start to think that there's something missing. I have no time to do the things that I want to do and no time to think, do the things I love to do. Or worse yet, I don't even have time for the very people that I say I love let alone all of the rest. And you start to kind of scratch your head, or maybe people around you start to scratch their head and go, you know, is life supposed to be this way? When I show up to church, should I show up to sleep, or should I show up to worship, right? Because I don't have any time for anything else. What if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life you may want may be the one that you're living? may be the one that you're living. So the, t- t- the title for today's message is Too Busy for What Matters. Too Busy for What Matters. We all have places to be, jobs to do, bills to pay, kids to raise, grandkids to raise maybe, parents to care for, dinner to cook, clothes to wash, photos to take, the next movie to watch, uh, the new restaurant to eat at. I mean, whatever's on your list. We, are all, we have all of these things going and just because the pace of life is what, is what it is, you find yourself going faster and faster and faster. And you realize, I don't have time, some time for the things I really want. The meals I want to linger over with the family and friends that I want to linger with. Uh, to read those books that you've always wanted to read. Or the time to, as my wife would say, we don't reflect enough. The time to rest and reflect about what our life is, is and what God is actually saying to us. And to have that intimacy with the Heavenly Father that he so desperately wants to have with us that we, we just don't have time for. That's why this series is called A Better Way. We're not just looking at the truth of Jesus by what he tells us to do, but, but the way we are to do it. We're examining at least a few ways that Jesus lived so that, and Jesus loved so that we could possibly follow in the same way that he would. And as we look at the Gospels and step back, it's telling to think about the, the way that Jesus lived. He had three years to do ministry, and that was it. The three years that took him to the cross. Uh, this public type of ministry. And in those, those three years, he embraced the Father's mission and purpose for himself. He recruited a team of meandering men, trained them in kingdom values, and he endured the scorn of Pharisees. He resisted the temptation of the devil. He healed all sorts of sick people. He loved all sorts of hurting people. And he preached the kingdom of God and lived it. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Now think about this, Jesus never once ran. Jesus never once ran. When you read the Gospels, there's no record, a record of him running, even though you know, we'd like to think he did. He didn't. Jesus' daily life was full, but he was never rushed. He never said to his disciples, hey boys, we're behind schedule. 
Pick it up. Let's go. I, something happened there. He was busy with the important stuff, but he was never rushed on the inside. Can you think about that? He was busy, his schedule, or his, I like the word full, his schedule was full, but he was never rushed on the inside. Never, Jesus never once ran. In fact, there's a phrase in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, verse 14, and this, and this phrase you can see over and over in this gospel and in the gospels. I want you to go ahead and read this with me. Mark said this about Jesus. Please join me in reading Mark chapter 2, verse 14 aloud. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now think about this for a second. It's intriguing. Levi had to follow Jesus. Levi followed Jesus' pace. If Jesus was unrushed, Levi followed Jesus and he walked with him in an unrushed manner. Then Levi should have been living, if that's the case, then Levi should have been and probably was living an unrushed life. Maybe not internally, uh, that's a kingdom thing that changes, but he was walking at least physically an unrushed life. If we follow an unrushed Jesus, then we should be living an unrushed life too. The way I live is very different than the way Jesus lived. You find that to be the case? So if you find yourself like me on a broken treadmill and the pace is picked up beyond what you expected and you're often rushed or stressed or overwhelmed, exhausted, trying to get it all done, always falling short, you're not living the pace of Jesus. That's why Jesus invites you and me to come, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, and will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to recognize that Jesus didn't talk about the external pace of a person. He really went to the heart of it. He went to the soul, right? He said, your, your your burden, rest for your souls. And if there's rest for your souls, then your external being, your complexion, your, your radiance will be rest to those around you and paced. I want to revisit this verse, but revisit it through uh, the message translation um, because I think Eugene Peterson has it in a way, in a language that we can come to understand. He says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? You should be. It's almost, almost intrinsic there. He says you should be. So come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforth forced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, Jesus is beckoning us to walk with him, to watch how he loves, uh, walk, how, walk where he walks and how he does it. 
I just want you to think for these few moments to think about the way Jesus lived. Think about the way that Jesus was. He only lived, again, for 33 years, and he was called to be perfect and to save the world. His mission was to give his life, and he waited for 30 years before he initiated his public ministry. It's incredible to think about all that Jesus did. He was baptized by God the Father, and the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descends on him. Yep, John the Baptist was there, but the Father baptizes him. And the Father says this to him, and it's something that we need to hear from the Father on a daily basis, if not multiple times through the daily, daily basis, that he said that he loved him and that he was well-pleased with him. And this, again, is a reminder for many of us, but Jesus didn't even start his ministry yet, and yet God was pleased with him, and he loved him through and through, unconditionally. This, this love, this rest that comes from the Father changed the way that Jesus did his ministry. What's the first thing Jesus does after this? Now, you may argue with me a little bit on this, but after Jesus is baptized, what's he go do? He takes a sabbatical. Uh, that's what he does. The Spirit leads him out to the desert wilderness for 40 days. He, he's, he, he goes out to be with his Father intimately, to shore up his mission with him, I think. And he stayed there with him. Yep, he was tempted, but he was prepared for the temptation because of the sabbatical that he was given. And guess what? He, he stayed, stayed to the very end he stayed all the way there, and then he goes off to a wedding. Uh, he goes off to a feast, so he goes from a sabbatical to a party. It's not a bad way to break your sabbatical. Uh, most of us, if we've ever had a sabbatical, know that we'd have a laundry list of emails and requests waiting for us. He just goes off to a party. What does he do? He ran, they ran out of wine, and he turns water into wine. And he just kind of, in that, that action, he kind of says, look, let's keep the feast going just a little bit longer. Isn't that a kind of a rhythm and a pace that is vastly different than us? At least me. I'll just put myself there. Uh, one time following that, one time synagogue leader comes up to him. His name was Jairus, and he's freaking out because his little girl's dying, dying like we would freak out. And he asks Jairus asked Jesus to heal and to save her. And while Jesus is compassionately moving toward the need, he is walking. And in the midst, I just read this this morning in my own devotions, not only here, but in the midst of it, right, there's a woman who gets his attention, saps his healing power, if you will, who's been sick for 12 years, and the little girl's, he's walking to her. Remember, he's walking towards this little girl. But because of what just transpired, this woman now gets Jesus' undivided attention. And we may think this, he's, Jesus, you're just taking your sweet love and time, and really you're loving. Really, he is, but we're like, whoa, come on, we have to, this little girl's dying. Jesus takes the time to be with this woman. It's just wildly beautiful and restorative. Yet we would be rushed because we realize and recognize that there's one that needs to be healed on the other side. He heals her. 
but only after he takes the time with one person and then moves on to the no another. I mean, Jesus has control of time, right? Jesus wasn't rushed, friends, and we're called to follow Jesus. Again, if Jesus wasn't rushed in his soul, why do you think we are? Why are we? I'm not a, I'm not a preach. I, I, I am a preacher. I'm not a counselor, per se. But years of ministry might tell me a few things. My guess, and it's quite simplified at this moment, is that we're, we're, well, the reason that we're rushed and overworked and pressure and continue to stay on that treadmill is either we're running for something or we're running to something. We're running from something or we're running to something. Most of us, uh, me if I analyze it, I'm running uh, from insignificance and I'm running towards acceptance. It's one of the preacher's uh, pitfalls, if you will, uh, to, to want to have that. I don't know what yours would be. You might be running from a past failure. You might be running from something, uh, from something said or something said about you. You might be running from an insecurity that you're trying to overcome and prove wrong. Are you running from an abuse or running from something? It, it may fall in those two categories because if we didn't have those things stretching us, we would probably be in pace with you. I mean, we're constantly torn. If you're running towards success, you're running towards an image. You're running towards popularity. If you're running towards fame, you're running towards being liked. You want, you want to be, right? This statement is going to come back over and over again, but what if the greatest enemy to the life that you actually want is the one you're living right now? Always rushed, always pushing it. Some of you may say, well, pastor, you <laughs> and I get it. Some of you joke with me, and it's great. It, but some of you may think this. You, you don't get it. You only work Sundays. <laughs> oh, yeah, somebody said it. You know, I got a full-time job, and I have a family. I have all these things. I, I, I literally just can't get it all done. There's just too much moving. Uh, very respectfully, if I may say, you all have time for what you decide you have time for. We all do. You have time. You have time for what you choose to have time for. You, what you choose to have time for. And so, if I may, just to nudge it up the dial a little bit, the answer is not more time. The response is to prioritize what matters. The answer is not more time. The response is to prioritize what what matters and the reason we don't have time for what matters is we choose to give time to what doesn't matter that's the truth i'm gonna i'm gonna take uh, three common areas that may not fall for you but there is something if i were to set with you you could say i literally I'm, I'm doing everything i should i'm gonna talk to you about three different areas that are pitfalls for many of us maybe not all of us First of all, social media. How many of you are involved in some form of social media? You're on Twitter, Facebook, something. Yeah, you're involved. The second would be television, and the third would be video games. Let's just start with social media, uh, if I may. 
the average person uh, on social media spends a year is 828 hours per year. 828 hours per year. Uh, you know, if you approximate that over, that's a, that's a lot of hours, right, of time that you're on or you're devoted to social media. We all have, uh, you have time for what you decide you have time for. So if you focus your time, and this is what's common with social media, uh, I will admit it, I've been there, and, and then all of a sudden it's an hour. You're like, what in the world? Where to go, right? And to say that there's any sense of value to probably any of it, to any of it, is pretty hard to do. Television, how many, how many hours uh, do people watch over a lifetime? A lifetime. A person watches uh, 141 hours of TV per month. This is according to some stats that I found, or 1,692 hours per year. That's assuming you're, you reach the uh, life, life, your U.S. life expectancy now is uh, like about 78 eight years old. That's 15 years of your life watching, of watching TV. Now, before we go to video games, some of you are like, I don't play video games. Yeah, all right, I get it. So I want to I break it down. Uh, there are Gen Xers uh, probably in here, uh, I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on everybody eventually, but Gen Xers, uh, between 8 and 12 hours uh, or, uh, or a month, 1 to 3 hours per week. So if, if you're in that, in that age category and you're like, I don't, I don't play video games, well, when you play Sudoku, on your phone, you're playing a game of some sort, right? You're, you're engaged. Now, I'm not, saying it, I'm not saying any of this is bad, necessarily, but it's where, are, where we spend our time. And boomers, uh, again, it's, it's one to three hours. Um, often we find ourselves there. The incredible thing is that over the average, average time of, of uh, somebody that's 21, I've, I heard this, that somebody is 21 years of age, so somebody who's younger in that category, they can spend up to 10,000 hours by the time they're 21 years of age. Now, let me give you a few stats with that that come along. So if you're in Gen X, you might you know, find yourselves in there, a millennial, whatever, right? Uh, an average, uh, if you're an average reader, you can read about 2,000 books in your lifetime uh, in that 10,000 hours. Uh, you can probably become a concert pianist in 10,000. Did you know that? 10,000 hours is one of those, those key things uh, that if you hit 10,000 hours in any profession, you probably are an expert at it. So that's why it's going this way. You can get your pilot's license, 10,000 hours. Uh, you can memorize the New Testament in 10,000 hours. Um, let's just take it into relationships. Uh, you could probably uh, save that struggling marriage uh, with 10, maybe not, you don't have 10,000 hours, but 10,000 hours, if you devoted some of that energy to that, uh, you could probably reconcile with that family member whom you are, uh, you're, you're strained at, um, if you gave yourself a little bit of that time to that, you could possibly um, have a greater influence and intimate relationship with your children, potentially, if you gave some of that time over, I mean, there's an incredible amount of things that happen, but this is the point I want to make. You have time for what you decide you have time for. That's the point. We all do, every single one of us. Um, 
I would sit down with you and tell you that I, I know where I spend my time. And some, and some weeks are even worse than others uh, where they get wasted and in some of those areas and in some other areas. But what if the greatest enemy to the life you want to live is the one you're living? What if it is? What, what is the answer to it? Well, I think we're all in recovery. I think we're all in recovery. We're all working through this together. I mean, and this is what Jesus is in the process of doing, is recovering our life from those things that don't matter to giving, us, giving our lives to the things that do matter and count for an eternity. Uh, they are the very things that actually do satisfy our hearts and our lives in this life. So what do we do? I think it's this. We, we have to go back to the basics and back to the core, and really about the core of what we've established here as a foundation at Ipsy Free. And one of the cores is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that we are called to be about, to be about. And if we're to follow Jesus and keep in pace with Jesus, these are the things that you'll find that he is keeping his focus on. Uh, you know the book, I referenced a book last week called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which some of this material is from, from John Mark Comer, and he says in this book that love is incompatible with hurry. Now, it's not the first time some of you have heard that from me or up here, but love is incompatible with hurry. And so if our life is to be focused about loving God and then loving others, then hurry is incompatible with it. And we need to... to to move those things in our lives out that are distracting us and taking away from loving him and loving others in the way that he calls us to. So how can we do this? I want to challenge you in our next steps to a a prayer, just a simple prayer that if you think you find yourself in this place or space that you might just pray it. You can be praying it over a cup of coffee. Uh, You can pray it just any place at any time to refocus your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to use you in a powerful way. It's this, this, this prayer. Father, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. It's a simple prayer. Father, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Uh, can you repeat it with me just now as we kind of kind of seed it into our hearts and maybe in, into our minds? Father, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. What will happen if you start to pray this prayer? on a daily basis, or multiple times throughout the day? I'm not really sure, to be really honest. I don't know. Uh, uh, But I do believe that God will use it, and you will have to answer how he uses it for you. But I think one of the first ways that he has been teaching me, and some of you know this because I've asked for this, uh, that he has been teaching me to be present in the moment to be present in the moment. I think that that's a God thing. That's Jesus was present, and that's how he was able to love people in those moments. I'm, I'm starting to recognize that I'm often physically in places where I'm mentally not. Some of you said, finally, right? 
You know, I mean, I, I have historically engaged with my children. Uh, now, this is probably better. Before we were even married, this, this is the grandest illustration. Before we were even married, uh, Kathy walked up to me. I was working at a church at the time. Kathy walked up to me, and I was in church, and I was on work. I was working, right? Uh, my work is to love God and love all people, right? She talked to me. She walked away. Then she asked me later, what did I say? I had no clue. I, I remember her being there vaguely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, you know that that's a real thing. You want to be present in the moment. It's vitally important. Not always there. But what does happen is I begin to drift to things that don't matter. When I'm not present in the moment, I start to drift to things that don't matter, uh, distractions that the evil one or my own flesh desires to act out on. I think this prayer is also helping me to invite and wait for God's presence through the, oh, sorry, the second thing is to help me to decide and do what is important, to decide and do what, what is important. When I pray that prayer, I have to kind of think, how does God want me to walk with him slowly enough to experience him and to love people deeply? I have to start to think about that, and I become more aware of what transpires, right? Uh, to eliminate the things that don't matter so much and have about the clarity about the things that do matter the most. To be able to say no to things that other people may even think are important but are no's for me and help me to have that clarity. A last thing that I want to share with you is it's helping me to invite and wait for God's presence through the Holy Spirit to invite and wait for God's presence through the Holy Spirit. It's helping me to see him work in places that I was too busy to notice before. He's prompting me even to ask additional questions when I'm with somebody or ending a conversation or even uh, spending a moment in prayer that I probably wouldn't have spent in prayer with that person if I was on my own time in my own mind. It just wouldn't happen. And he's taken me in places where I've been able to notice things. So when we pray, pray, Father, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply, it starts to begin to train and transform how we think about those around you. It's nothing huge, but it's small. It's a small next step that we all can do, that we can start to notice what is happening around him, around us. And as Jesus walked through all of his ministry, he, he, he had to follow the Father's ways. You know, day after day, he took the next step, next moment. He prayed intentionally, right? He spent time away. When we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we don't just embrace the truth that he taught, which is vastly important, and we will do that, but we also want to embrace the way that he lived and the way that he loved. And as we learn to walk with Jesus, as we all learn to walk with Jesus, we become more like him every single day. Can you imagine in an angry, hurting, and divided world 
if there is a loving, caring, and united church that's walking slowly enough to engage with those who are far from God. Uh, To show the love of God who stepped out of heaven and came to earth in a person, in his perfect and sinless son, Jesus, and, and who walked day after day, walked to the cross, not only for us, who know this truth, but also walk to the cross for all those who do not and have not realized this truth. Can you imagine it? That we stay in pace and cadence with him. Remember, friends, we all have time for what we choose to have time for. Do we have time for God and his pace? his rhythms that are unforced and grace-giving. Let's pray.